So there's been times in my life where I have felt very spiritually weak, and um, I'm sure uh, emotionally weak and intellectually weak, um, weak in my whole sort of being. So I'm not just talking weak in one way, but I mean weak in every way that I can imagine, not feeling strong emotionally, not feeling like I have much wisdom, not feeling very smart, not feeling very physically strong. Uh, so I say spiritually weak, I just mean like everything weak. And uh, kind of like, and I'm sure I know that many of you have had those seasons in your life where you feel that way, where just like the plug has been pulled out of the bottom of your life and there's not much left to go down the drain, right? There's just, you, you don't know what's left. You don't, you know, you've had days like that where you just feel like the ground is shifting under your feet and you have no idea what will be standing after the shift. Have you had a day like that? Am I just talking to myself? You guys have had days like that? where the ground is shifting and you just don't know where you're going to end up. You know, or maybe not a day, maybe it's a week, you know, or a month or a year that you have where you just feel that way. And I know you have. I know some of you are in those days right now and you face questions that you don't have answers to. And you face fears that you don't know how to conquer. And you have temptations that you just can't seem to fight and win over. You keep falling into that temptation over and over and over again. Or you are struggling to find the right way through a situation. It's just beyond your ability. You don't have the wisdom or whatever it is. You just you can't see clearly to even know how to get through a situation. Or maybe you can see very clearly what you should be doing to get through a situation, but you don't have the strength to walk down that path that you know you need to walk. And that's okay. And that's really what we're looking at this morning is that it's okay because Jesus felt that way too. Jesus, in his own life, faced situations where he didn't know he had the strength to walk the walk he had to walk or to uh, conquer what he had to conquer. He had days, he had weeks, and we're looking at the big week of Jesus' life where, humanly speaking, he just didn't know if he had it in him. And on Palm Sunday, we, we look at that final week of Jesus where he spent in and around Jerusalem prior to his going to the cross on Good Friday. Pastor Brian's going to be speaking on that right here uh, on Friday. And uh, we start with Palm Sunday because of the branches that were laid down to form a carpet as he entered into the city gates. As the children were coming in here, they were waving the palm fans and and people laid down palm fronds, and they laid down their cloaks, and Jesus rode in kind of on top of the world, so to speak, humanly speaking, right? This was the, the pinnacle. This is what his disciples were looking for in his ministry. It's finally, he's getting the recognition. He's, he's riding in like a conquering general into the city, and uh, the returning king has come. We read about that in Luke 19. And, but during that week, Jesus also spent a great deal of time in the city, in the outside, the outskirts of the city, teaching. And he was telling parables, and he celebrated the Passover feast, and he was instructing his disciples on what was about to happen, and of course, praying. But this week was, even though it started really well, with that triumphal entry, was not going to be like any other week in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry. You know, by his own plan, his hour had come. And he was facing his own humiliation and his own torture and then death on a cross. And this is what lies ahead of him in this week. And it's during this week that we see Jesus, I think, perhaps at his most vulnerable and perhaps at his most human and perhaps
perhaps where we can relate the most to Him in our spiritual weakness. Even though He is Jesus. Even though He is the Son of God. Right? This is the week that He sees the corruption in the temple courts and He chases everybody out of there. He makes a whip out of ropes and starts you know, smacking the animals and chasing everybody out and turning over the, the tables. He's had it with this group of people that have been basically um, making a marketplace out of the temple. We see in Matthew 21. And it's in the middle of this week, in, in the middle of, of his teaching this week, that he actually confesses out loud publicly that his very soul is in turmoil. It says in John 12:27, and we looked at this uh, a couple Easter's ago. It says, he said, literally, now is my soul troubled. And it's this week that he approaches a fruit tree, you know, just gets up one morning, he's heading in Jerusalem, another day of this week, and he's hoping to just get a little bit of breakfast from this fruit tree, and it doesn't even have a fig for him, so he curses it, and it withers. Uh, you know, can't even get a snack from a tree that he made. Uh, this week is not going for Jesus very well. And, and he just, he's, it just seems like Jesus is at his weakest point here. And ahead of him on that day and, and on that week lies the, the betrayal of Judas and the abandonment of his disciples and the trials of Herod and the trial with Pilate and the anger of the crowds and, and then his long night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this is what we remember, that this is, this is the week Jesus is going through. And we are never going to face a night like Jesus faced. Right? We're not going to be struggling with what lay before Jesus in the crucifixion but in our own small ways, we all face our Gethsemanes. We have our days, we have our weeks, we may even have our years where we are struggling like this. Where everything is going against us and we are facing something that we don't know how we're going to face. So it could be a life-threatening illness. It could be a family disagreement that has been going on for years and it has suddenly exploded in our, in our life again recently. It might just be the accumulation of a hundred sort of small pressures that have been facing us. Or it could be a challenge that we have never faced in our life before that we couldn't imagine facing. And I think most of us know what those days look like. And even though we will never face what Jesus faced, we all have our Gethsemane moments where we are at the end of our rope and empty spiritually. So how will we face them? And so today, this portion of, of this looking at spiritual strength. I just want to look at the example of Jesus. I just want to look at how Jesus faced this week. How did Jesus face what he was facing, the trial of his life? And he's just finished the Passover meal with the disciples, and Judas is now off arranging the arrests, and Jesus is locked in a spiritual battle of the mind and the will. And the pressure of his physical and spiritual circumstances is at its most extreme. And you may remember that when Jesus began His ministry a few years earlier, it started with 40 days in the desert. Do you remember that? He went 40 days fasting in the desert and Satan was tempting Him in the desert and tempted by the enemy. And when Satan failed to stop Jesus at the start of His ministry, it says uh, in Luke 4.13, it says, When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, there is no doubt in my mind when Satan said, I'm going to come back when there's a better opportunity for you to fail, 
that this was the time when Satan was going to come back. That this was the opportune time. I didn't stop Jesus from beginning his ministry, and I know what he's trying to do right now, and now is the time that I'm going to come back and tempt him. And so when we think of Jesus here in this week, and with all these things happening, the He knows that Judas is gone. He knows what's happening. He knows the arrest is coming. And he's going to the garden to pray. And this is the time that I'm quite sure was the opportune time for Satan to tempt Jesus. That this was the last window that Satan had. And so he was going to bring everything he had on Jesus right here. This was the time where Jesus was facing his biggest trial in his ministry. A week like no other in his life. And so as he approaches the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear him say to Peter, James, and John, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, he says to his disciples. And earlier in the week, while he was teaching, he confessed how his own soul was troubled, that same word troubled, in John 12, 27. And that word troubled is a word, terasso, that that when it's used of any other people, the disciples or of Herod or any other time it's used in the New Testament, it means that a fear has fell upon their soul. And so it's used for the first time there of Jesus and his soul. Jesus is afraid. This is a bad time for Jesus. And he says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. My spirit is troubled. I'm afraid. And yet Jesus taught the disciples that they should not be troubled. Same word. He says in John 14.1, He told them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Or He says in John 14.27, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And so here we have Jesus saying to His disciples, Don't be troubled. Don't, don't be taroso. Like Don't have this fear on your soul. Don't have this trouble in your soul because of me. And yet at the same time, here Jesus is admitting, my soul is troubled. I'm sorrowful. I'm in the same situation. And so I think the point is not, don't ever feel troubled. That's not what he's saying. It's not that you'll never feel troubled. It's not that you'll never have that fear in your soul. Don't ever have any um, fear or any trouble. The point is, don't let the fear remain unchallenged. That was the teaching that Jesus was giving to his disciples. He says, I know your soul is troubled. I know that you're fearful. But what I'm saying is don't don't just give in to it. Don't give up without a fight. Don't be troubled. Fight back. Your soul is going to be troubled. You will feel like the bottom has come out of your life. You feel will feel like you have nothing left to go on. There will be weeks where it feels like your circumstances and Satan are stacked against you. But what do you do about it when your soul is that way? What do you do about it when the plug is pulled out of the bottom of your life? That is the question. For that is the point, is how do you respond to that trouble in your soul? And so we can look to Jesus and see how he responded to his own troubled soul in Gethsemane. Because by his own admission, he's troubled. And so we look in Matthew 6, 26. Sorry, Matthew 26, 36 to 39. And it says, When Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
And so from these verses, I think when our soul is in that situation, when we are facing that week, or we are facing that year, or we are just facing that day, or that situation where we are spiritually empty, where we are at our weakest point, when it feels like everything is against us, we have to look to the example of Jesus and see how He fought. How did Jesus fight the fight for His soul? And the trouble and the sorrow and the despair that was on the verge of being there for Him. The five quick points that I want to take from this is that Jesus chose some close friends to be with Him. It says in verse 37, it says, And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And so Jesus, in His darkest hour, did not pull back from His friends. He didn't hide. He didn't decide uh, that He would run away from their support. Jesus found His most precious and His most trusted friends, and He called them to be aside with Him. And so don't go through anything alone. You have a church full of brothers and sisters here, aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers in the faith here, and in your darkest hour, you should not retreat, but you should reach out. Jesus went to His best friends when He was in His darkest week. He didn't face it alone. There is no shame in reaching out. But yes, sometimes you have to do the reaching. It says that Jesus took the disciples with Him. It doesn't say that the disciples saw how upset Jesus was and they all came and got Him and said, you know, we need to get away and pray. You know, sometimes people will notice your struggles and sometimes people won't notice your struggles. The disciples really, as we learn later on and have several indications in the text, really didn't know what was going on this week. Right? At this point, they still thought that this was like a celebration Passover week. They still have the triumphal entry on their mind. They still have the Passover supper on their mind. They didn't even know what he meant when, Jesus, when he dipped the bread with Judas and Judas left. They still didn't know what was going on. And your friends are not always going to know that you are in the darkest week of your life. And so you have to go out and reach out to them and tell them what is going on. You know, you have to not just sort of sit at home and wait for people to call, but you have to reach out like Jesus did, and you have to find your best friends, and you have to tell them what's going on. You can call anyone here, and I know they will come. You know, and sometimes even when they're trying to help you, they will fall asleep at the worst possible times, like these three guys did to Jesus, right? You know, so you go to your friends, and you, you tell them what's going on, and you need their help, you know, and then you wonder where they are a couple of days later, or, or, or they can't even seem to grasp the seriousness of the situation, and that's going to happen. I mean, those are the friends Jesus has had. So we're probably not going to have better friends. This is the disciples we're talking about. You know, but, but remember this, that no one is insincere. Everyone in this church is available and would respond and is sincere in wanting to help you. And so the first thing we take away here is that Jesus did not do this alone. He went and got His friends in His darkest hour. And so when we are facing those situations, we've got to go find our friends. And your friends are right here. Just look around. These are your best friends. And they will sincerely sit with you and counsel you and pray with you in your darkest moments. Don't do it alone. Secondly, he opened up his heart to them. Verse 38 says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus was just honest with them. He just told them what was going on. And it's hard to get much more honest than that. I mean, they know that Jesus is the Messiah and they have never seen him like this before. They have not seen Jesus in this situation before in His ministry. Right? Jesus gets brutally honest with His closest friends. And He tells them exactly what is going on inside of Him and what is going on in His heart and in His soul. 
And so we have to be honest with each other about where we're at. If we're on the brink of despair, we can't mess around with sort of polite conversation and, you know, being, you know, very um, sort of, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like Canadian. You know, we can't be too Canadian in these situations. You know, we just have to be honest with people. You know, we have to we have to open up our mouth and we have to tell people what is going on and be brutally honest. So you get your closest friends together and then you tell them the truth. You know, you tell them, I'm getting buried under this temptation of lust where you say, I don't know if my marriage has more than a month left in it. You know, be honest. I'm or, or I'm so afraid of the future I can't sleep at night. Or, you know, I lost it on my kids and I said stuff that I'm going to regret for years and I don't know how to fix the damage I did. You know, you can be in the worst weeks of your life and not you can't be in the worst week of your life and not be honest. Whatever you are facing, I can virtually guarantee you that there is someone in this room who has already been through it. Maybe five, six, a dozen, a hundred times. Right? There are not parents here who have not lost it on their kids and said stuff they shouldn't have said. There are not parents here who have not had to go back to their children and apologize for the way they behave. There are not marriages here that have not been in trouble, that have had to work hard at how to reconcile with each other. There are not people who have gone through terminal illness and have lost loved ones and everything else. Whatever you're going through, there are people here who have done it before more than once. And so you need to be brutally honest. You're not going to shock anybody because we've all been there or been through it with other people. I can guarantee you, I don't care if it's bankruptcy, divorce, criminal charges, anger, pornography, family estrangement, addiction, nobody's going to be surprised because we're all broken. And so we have to be honest. Like Jesus was honest with his friends about what was going on in his heart. And then thirdly, Jesus asked for their help in spiritual warfare. Verse 38, the second half, it says, Remain here and watch with me. And another text says, Pray with me in another gospel. And then in another gospel it says, Don't let yourselves come into temptation. In other words, fight with me. Watch my back. Stand with me and fight with me. Is what Jesus is saying to them. Be with me. Pray with me. Don't be tempted. Fight with me. And next week on Easter Sunday, I hope to spend a little bit more time unpacking more the kind of prayer that I think is, that, is, that this is for us in our Christian life. And that's sort of the second half of this. is We're going we're gonna to talk about that prayer and what that spiritual warfare looks like and, and, and what we do in our life to uh, fight back despair and fight for spiritual strength and against spiritual weakness. But to... For today, it's important just to understand again the importance of prayer. That the struggles that we face in this world are always spiritual struggles. There is no struggle going on that isn't a spiritual struggle. The circumstances can be whatever they are. The illness can be whatever the illness is. The marriage troubles can be whatever the troubles are. The job loss, the temptation, the addiction. The circumstances can be whatever they are. But at the heart of them, whatever the battle is we face, it's a spiritual one. Just as they were talking about with this marriage, uh, that Mark and Allison were talking about with the marriage seminar. It's a spiritual battle. Regardless of the circumstances, at the heart it's always a spiritual battle. And if we don't win the spiritual battles first, then we won't win with the circumstantial ones or the physical ones. And so get your friends together, be honest with them, and start fighting the battle in prayer the way Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly where he needed to go in the darkest week of his life. And then fourthly, he poured out his heart to the Father in prayer. In verse 39, he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
So when we're facing difficulty, this is most often our prayer, isn't it? Right? When we're facing these weeks or these months or these years of our life, we most often pray for God to change our outward circumstances. And I'm really encouraged by this, right? You know, we pray to change my situation, right? Take, you know, take this away from me or, or, or fix this for me or, or, you know, change this person or, you know, maybe change the city this person lives in for me or, or something, right? Don't look at them right now when I said that. Um, but, but we're asking God to change the situation. And I'm encouraged by this. That, of course, God cares for His children and He commands us to bring our troubles for Him. And so it's okay that we should pray for our circumstances to be changed. Because Jesus prayed that if there was any way that God could change the central plan of salvation for mankind, if it could just be worked out some other way, a plan that they had been working on together for 6,000 years at least, then if He can pray for His circumstances to be changed, then I'm encouraged that we can pray for our circumstances to be changed. So it's not wrong to pray for God to change your situation at work or in your marriage or whatever it is that you're facing. That's okay to be part of your prayer. That you go to God in prayer and you pour out your heart to Him and pray for circumstances to be different. But that's not the end of your prayer. That's not where your prayer ends. Finally, Jesus shows in His prayer that despite His fear of His circumstances, despite the sorrow unto death that He faces with the cross before Him. Finally, Jesus trusted His soul with the sovereign wisdom of God. The second half of that verse 39 is, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. And so the final resting place of our troubled soul is in the sovereignty of God. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows your strengths and your weaknesses. God saw and God planned the days of your trouble that you are facing before the foundation of the world. No less than He saw and He planned the day of His own Son's death. God is not surprised by what's happening. Jesus isn't even surprised by what's happening. He knew what Judas was going to do. He knows that the soldiers are on their way. He knows where He's going to end up. He and the Father planned it all out. But in no less way has God seen what you're going through. He has planned out your days from before the foundation of the world. And God knows what you're in. And so I take great encouragement from that too. Because if the Father was watching what was going on with His Son, even though He knew where it was leading, He's not surprised by any of it. God had that figured out from the very beginning. And He's got your situation figured out from the very beginning. And so we need to be encouraged that Jesus, even though He prays to His own Father to change the very plan of salvation, if it be possible, to change His circumstances because of the fear in His soul that He was facing, He finally ends His prayer with trust in the sovereign wisdom of God. Just think on that. That God is no less sovereign, no less knowing, and no less powerful in your life than He is in the life of Jesus. And you can trust the sorrow. You can trust the fear and the trouble of your soul with Him. If there is anybody you can trust your spiritual weakness with, it's God. So when we face these moments, when we face these days, when we face these weeks of our lives where the ground shifts, where we don't know how to survive it, then the first thing I want us to remember is look to Jesus as an example. Because He has had a week like yours far worse than yours. 
Our Gethsemanes are nothing like his. He wasn't just facing the torture and the humiliation and the shame and the beating and the nailing to the cross and the physical death. That's not. That's just a picture of what Jesus was actually facing, which was to bear the wrath of God. And we'll talk more about that next week. But he was facing the wrath of his own father, God, to bear on himself the sins of the whole world. Yeah, that was his week. But we face our own small Gethsemanes. And so when we're facing those Gethsemanes, we need to look to Jesus as the example. So when the ground is shifting, when the temptation, the hurt, the explosion in the relationship, whatever it is in our life that has caused us fear, it's not sin itself to be fearful, to be sorrowful, to be spiritually, to be spiritually weak. We are frail and broken, and God remembers that we are dust. But what would be sin, or what would be wrong, or what would be harmful to us, is giving into that fear and failing to battle spiritually. And so Jesus lays out for us how to battle spiritually. Jesus shows us a way through those days and weeks and months. And it's not a painless way through, but it's a victorious way through. And so call your closest friends and be brutally honest with them. And ask them to fight the spiritual warfare with you. And pray and pour out your heart to God. But ultimately, trust in God's sovereignty. That's how we face those days, those weeks. That's how we face our Gethsemane. We follow in the footsteps of the Son of God. We follow the example of Jesus. Because He faced days and weeks like we did, far worse. He knows humiliation. He knows brokenness. He knows shame. He knows pain. He knows death. And He faced them this way, with His friends, honestly, battling spiritually, pouring out His heart, and trusting in God. That's how we face our descendants. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for this really tiny little slice of the example of Jesus. And I know, I know, I know as I was preparing this that I could just skim over the surface. There's so much here. Skim over the surface. But I hope, Lord, that this would be an encouragement. It's an encouragement to me, and I hope it's an encouragement to us this morning. That we have a God, we have a Savior, who is not distant and unconcerned and unaware of our frailty. But we have a God who came to be like us, to suffer to no sorrow, to no pain, to understand suffering. And Lord, that He showed us a way, a simple way, that we can face our spiritual weakness and our suffering, that we can face our days when the ground is shifting, when we face things that are beyond our ability, that You've put us in a church together with people, that You have given us the weapons of spiritual warfare to fight with, given us brothers and sisters to fight beside us, that ultimately we can call on you and that you have power to move in our circumstances. And beyond all of that, Lord, there is the amazing, sovereign mystery of your will. That none of this is a surprise to you. You've seen every moment of our lives coming. And in fact, you've prepared us for those days where you wouldn't bring them on. And so, Lord, help us to rest in that. Your sovereign will is done. All that you do is good for our good and your glory. Amen.